welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Ezra chapter 5 and 6 is where we are, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there. Ezra chapter 5 will be there a little bit. Uh, Mostly we'll be in Haggai 1 and 2. So go ahead and mark that in your Bible as well. Ezra 5 and 6 and Haggai 1 and 2. If you're just joining us, let me bring you up to speed. We've been going through uh, the book of Ezra. And so far what we've seen in Ezra chapter 1 and 2, we've seen the decree of Cyrus and the return of the exiles, that God's people were in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And according to the promise of God, they were brought home to Jerusalem. They were brought home to build the temple and to worship God in Jerusalem. Ezra chapter 3, we see that the people of the land were there. They feared the people of the land, but they responded in worship. They put their flag in the soil. They reestablished worship. They built the altar, and then they laid the foundation of the temple. It was a joyous day. Some of the people were rejoicing. Some of the older people were saying, we don't see the former glory. And so they were kind of weeping in this moment. And then we saw last week that after the foundation of the temple was laid, the temple building ceased for 16 years. Opposition rose up in the land. And remember, Ezra reminded us all through Ezra chapter 4, generation after generation, no matter what generation you are in, you will face opposition if you are doing the Lord's work. And indeed, they faced opposition and they ceased to do the work of the Lord that God had sent them to do. Anything from intimidation to accusation to legislation... The work was opposed, and for 16 years, they failed to follow what the Lord had told them to do. And so here's some of the questions that I want us to be thinking this morning as we go through this passage. Our question this morning, I want us to begin pressing beyond this opposition that we saw last week, and it is this, how do we build, because we're seeing building start again, and so, so how do we build and even prosper when faced with so much work and opposition? Is it possible to build in the face of opposition? Is it possible for the the kingdom of God to advance? And and perhaps you see the difficulty it is, the work that must go in as we we proclaim Christ. Can, can Can we build and even prosper? Now, in Ezra chapter 5, you you start to hear this resolve coming from the people. You you heard, as I read a second ago, that that Haggai and Zechariah stepped in, began prophesying to the people, and they began to fear the Lord and listen to the Lord. And and you even see this resolve come in. Ezra chapter 5, verse 5, the eye of their God was upon them. And then it goes on to say in verse 8 that the work went on diligently. And the work, do you see this here in Ezra chapter 5, verse 8? And their work began to prosper in their hands. And the people of the land asked the elders of the Jews, Who gave you the decree to build this house and to finish this structure? We want their names to write them down. And this was their reply. Instead of failing to do the work of the Lord as they did in Ezra chapter 4, They said, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. So so you see this resolve here that's coming as they're building, as they're flourishing, as as they're, they're prospering. They have this resolve. They're diligent, and they're saying, now we're serving no matter what. 
no matter the opposition, we will serve the God of heaven alone. That's the king that we answer to. Not, not, there's no other king that we answer to but God in heaven. And so they began to work. They tried to stop them. There was a governor you could read in verse 6 and following that tried to stop them but to no avail. In fact, we find out that the king that this governor pleaded to even opens up the royal treasury and says, use these royal resources for the rebuilding of the kingdom. They were building and prospering. So this is what I want to know this morning. Is it possible in kingdom work to build and prosper and to enjoy it? Is there a way to flourish in kingdom building? And I think Haggai is going to help us to do that. But the first question I want to ask, kind of building on that, that is it possible to build and flourish? What are we building? What, what, is, what, is, the, what is the application here for us as New Testament believers? We know that what they were called to do was to build what? The, the temple. They were called to go and reestablish the temple and reestablish the worship of God in Jerusalem. But, but, but let's stop before we go any farther, and then we're going to flip to Haggai in a moment. Let's stop to make sure we're clear on the application for believers today. You know, God's temple was a place where his presence dwelt among his people in a special way. And God wants his people to know that he's with them. And no circumstance they face will separate them from him. And God made a way for his presence to be among his people and for his people to stay alive. And God did that in the tabernacle and he did that in the temple. That the people in the center of Jerusalem, in the center of the city, in the center of their identity, they knew that God was with them. God has always wanted to dwell with his people. He has always templed with them from the garden to the sending of the Holy Spirit. The temple showed God's people that he wanted to be with them. And he was so committed to them that he encouraged them to press on and rebuild it here in Ezra chapter 5 and 6. You know, ultimately the temple was for the glory of God, but it was also for, for their good, to remind them of their identity. I like how one commentator described it. It's much like how a roof over our kid's head doesn't mean that there are kids, but it represents a place of belonging. It gives them a place of identity, a place where they can come and know that they are, are loved and protected and that you are with them. And so here the temple was the center of their identity. That They knew that God is among us in a special way. And so when we get to the New Testament, so, so what are we building? That's what they were building. What are we building? So in the New Testament, these strands of the temple emerge, as D.A. Carson points out, in, in three particular ways. The New Testament describes that Jesus himself is the ultimate temple. He said, tear this temple down, and in the three days I will build it up, talking about his body. He is what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is the true temple. The second big one is the church is called the temple, that we are one stone being stacked upon the other. The church is a place where, where, where we meet with God. That God speaks through the, the body of Christ, we're called. Christ is the true temple, and we are the body of Christ. So we are the church. We are the temple. And also, the Bible says a couple of times that even our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. So here, here's what I want you to know. Temple building for us today is not returning to Jerusalem and building a temple. 
It's working by the power of Christ in us, for Christ is in us, we are a temple, building the church. Christ said, I will build my church and and nothing will prevail against it. We're, We're reaching people. The nations are coming in. More and more stones as more and more people are getting in are building the temple, living lives pleasing to him, making much of the true temple, Jesus, the place where God and man are reconciled because he is the only, there's only one mediator between, mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. And so what we're talking about building is, is the church, the, the kingdom, advancing the kingdom of living lives to the glory of Christ. And so that's what we want to ask this morning. How do we ensure that we are building, doing the work of the Lord, temple building, and prospering and flourish? Did you see what it said in Ezra chapter 6, 14? Go ahead and look at, look at that with me. Ezra 6, verse 14. Even though they're facing opposition, even though they tried to get names and shut down the work, nothing could stop the work of the Lord. They were servants of God alone. At the end of this, we read in verse 14 of chapter 6, and the elders of the Jews built, do you see it there, and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, and they finished the building by the decree of God. So they built and they prospered, specifically, Ezra tells us, under the ministries of Haggai and Zechariah. And and so this means we should get a clear picture. Here's where we're going to Haggai. Go ahead and turn there. So according to Ezra 6.14, we can get a picture of what it looks like for us to build and prosper. What is the way to build and prosper if we can see what Haggai said? Go ahead and turn there. Haggai chapter 1 and 2. That's the whole book. It's towards the end of your Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, go back a couple pages and you'll eventually find Haggai. Haggai was one of the final prophets that we read in the Old Testament. And so as you're turning there, go to your table of contents if you need to to find Haggai. Haggai's ministry, as Ezra points out here, uh, lasted about four months. From 520 B.C., remember building the temple had shut down for, for 16 years. 520 B.C., he's prophesying between August and December of 520 B.C. He has um, four sermons So he had a ministry of four months. He only preached four sermons on three different days. He preaches a sermon in August. He preaches one in October. And then he preaches two in December of 520 B.C. And Ezra says that through the ministry of Haggai, through his ministry, that they built and prosper. So what we're going to do is do our best to summarize these four sermons of Haggai. And I think by the end of this, we will have a clear picture of what it looks like to build kingdom work, the temple, making much of Jesus, reaching people, doing the work of Christ, living our lives as temples of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, that we might do it and prosper. Are you ready? Haggai chapter 1, verse 1, we see the first sermon. This is August of 520 B.C. Here's point number one that Haggai gives us. So we're going to get four points from his four sermons, all right? First... Haggai says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Here's what he says to the people in Haggai 1, verse 2. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. So building had stopped. Haggai steps in. And these are the words that they hear that spur them on to build and prosper. And they'll do the same for us. These people say, 
that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of the prophet Haggai. Is it time, he asked, for you yourselves to dwell in the paneled houses while this house, the temple, lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, here it is, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvest little. You eat but never have enough. You drink and never have, you fill, have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And you earn wages to put them in bags with holes. So point number one, consider your ways. Take a hard look at your habits. Take a hard look at your priorities. Consider your ways. This is what Haggai is doing. He's saying, do you really think that it's okay to live in your paneled houses while the work of the Lord has ceased? Do you really think that it's okay to go on living like this when the Lord has given you a clear command? He says, consider your priorities, and then he says, consider what you're producing. In other words, he's saying, how is that working out for you? When, when you have priorities that are counter to the priorities that God has for your life, he's saying, how does that work out for you? He's saying, it's not, God's trying to get your attention. It's not working out too well. Like, you, you have a lot, but it never satisfies you. You have money, but it's like it's slipping through your pockets. You have something to drink. You have plenty. You have these paneled houses, but you just aren't satisfied. In fact, you keep saying, now is just not the time. Consider your ways. Uh, what are your priorities? Are, are you still saying to the Lord this morning, now is just not the time to follow you? Have you ever had those questions about following Jesus? What if it's not worth it? What if it's all a waste? And maybe you said things like this, maybe when the kids are older, or maybe you said something like this, when I'm done with high school, then I'll maybe get serious about my faith. I don't know. I need to, maybe when I'm done with college or whatever. Maybe when the kids are out of the house or when the kids get a little bit older. I, what's causing you to say? What priorities do you have? Is he at, this is hard, right? Haggai, like, he, he goes after it. Like this, he, he's not painting colorful language. He's going right after it. What are your priorities? What are you waiting for? Why do you keep putting this off and, and don't you see that what you're doing will never satisfy you? And so Haggai asked, what are your priorities? And then he asked, what is that producing? And as I said a second ago, he said, you know that's not satisfying you. Like you have the nice house, you, you have the money, you have the drink, you, you have everything that you... But what are your priorities producing? When you really consider your ways, what are you spending time doing? What do you pour your money and resources into, and what are you hoping that will produce? Uh, what kind of opulent things maybe are you, are you seeking? He's asking these folks, but you never feel like you have enough. H how are you dressing your spiritual wounds with consumer comforts? What quick fixes are you going to? What temporary solutions are you looking to? Because our world does, does condition us to go after temporary solutions to deep spiritual problems. So Haggai asks us, 
to consider. Get your eyes on. Think about. Not just a passing glance, but set, what are your priorities and what are you producing? And he's telling them this, that the Lord is trying to get your attention. Like you never have enough. You're never satisfied. The Lord loves you enough to try to get your attention. Maybe he's trying to get your attention this morning. He got the attention of the people of God that day. He softened their hearts and opened their eyes, and they obey the Lord. The Bible tells us at the end of that sermon, uh, you know, under the leadership of Zerubbabel um, and under the, the leadership of uh, and, uh, Joshua, uh, Yeshua, they, they begin to do the work of the Lord. They listen. <laughs> they begin to build and prosper under the work of Haggai. Consider this. Are you seeking to build a lasting inheritance? Are you seeking to have your life count for something eternal and your life to matter forever? You need to consider your ways. Are you trying to build and you want to prosper? Consider your ways. Evaluate your life and listen to the Lord. What are your priorities and what is it producing? That's point number one, sermon number one. Later in October of 520 B.C., Haggai preaches again. And he preaches the second sermon on the seventh month and the 21st day, this is the beginning of chapter 2. So the people are obeying the Lord now. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet again. And so now he is saying, not only have I asked you to consider your ways. Now here's number, point number two this morning. Now he's saying, consider the ways of the Lord. Consider the work that, that the Lord is doing. I've already asked you to consider what you're doing. Now consider what the Lord is doing because obviously opposition would arise. We read about that in Ezra chapter 5 and 6, that there's another governor that tries to shut down the work. And they're probably starting to face discouragement some two months after starting this rebuild, and, and now they're gung-ho, and maybe you felt like this before, you're gung-ho following the Lord, and then you kind of get discouraged, and you, you want to kind of tail off and stop following the Lord, and stop gathering with his people, or whatever it might be. And, and so now Haggai steps in so that they might build and prosper, and he says, what he's saying here is consider the Lord's ways. Because we know when fear creeps in, fear can be crippling. Maybe you focus on your lack of resources, the size of your problems, the strength of the opposition. Where will your focus be? And here Haggai tells him, you can read it three times, he says, be, be strong, Zerubbabel, be strong, O Joshua, be strong, all you people of the land, for the Lord of hosts is with you. Therefore, fear not keep building and prospering. My spirit is among you. Here's what they need in Ezra chapter 2 in the second sermon of Haggai. That the people need vision. You know, where, where there is no vision, the Bible says, the people perish. Where, where there's no focus on the word of the Lord, the people perish. They need vision of what is God doing. We need this in our lives. Because we see all sorts of calamities and catastrophes and struggles that we face in our own lives. But when we lose sight of what God can and is accomplishing, we can become indifferent to the work of the Lord. So here's what Haggai is saying. Consider this. Consider the work of the Lord. Consider that right now his presence is among you that he promised to never leave or forsake you. And consider this, you temple of the Holy Spirit, who has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Consider this, 
His presence is among you. So be strong, be strong, be strong, and fear not. The Lord is at work among you, and the Lord has not left you. And he even goes on to say here in Haggai chapter 2, he says that in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, I will shake the nations. Here's what he says, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory. We read in Ezra chapter 5 and 6 that that's exactly what the Lord had done. He opened up the, even the royal treasury of the people of, of, under King Darius. And they used that money. So, so God provided the resources that they need as God worked among them. So even in that moment. So, so here's what he's saying. Consider what God is doing now. That he's with you. And he is doing a million different things that you probably cannot see and would not even believe if you were told he was doing that. God's at work among you. And whether you see it or not, that's what he's saying. Get your eye. Don't despise the day of small things. Like, like it may look little, this, this foundation may not look like a lot, but don't est- underestimate what God can do. He will fill that place with glory and peace will come to that place, he says in Ezra chapter 2. At the end of, excuse me, at, at the end of Haggai chapter 2 verse 9. And God himself would come into that temple. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus himself would come into that very place. They didn't see it in the moment. They couldn't imagine that God would do such a thing. But consider the work of the Lord. That perhaps the God of the universe, who is infinitely wise, is doing things that you could never imagine. I know if you were God of the universe, you would do something different. But perhaps he knows what he's doing. Consider the Lord is at work now among you. And and consider that the Lord will fulfill his purpose. Fear not, fear not. Be strong, be strong. He will bring about the rightful end to all of his plans. His kingdom will remain standing in the end. So Ezra is saying, know the work of the Lord. Get your eyes on the work of the Lord. Take, I mean, Haggai saying this, take courage, fear not, consider this. You build more than you can see. And I think somebody might need to know that this morning. If you are going to build, do the work of the Lord and prosper, we need to be okay if we are building and we don't see it that God is doing far more than we could even imagine. Do you believe that this morning? That God is at work among us and he is doing more things than we could ever think, imagine, or ask. God is at work. That's what Haggai is saying in the days of, the prophet, of, of Ezra. Look what the Lord, he is, what he is doing. So consider this. Consider you build and prosper more than you can imagine. Consider your ways. What are your priorities? What is that producing? And consider what the Lord's doing. He's at work now, and he is at work or working in victory for that day. Catch a vision of the glory of Christ. Consider what he's doing. Then Haggai tells us two more things. So consider your ways, and now consider the ways of the Lord. Two more things this morning. Point number three, consider your hearts. Now here in December of 520 BC, Haggai gives uh, illustration to the people of God that 
may be a little difficult for us to understand. I'll summarize it for you. We won't necessarily read it. So as they continue to, to build and as they continue to want to prosper, they consider their ways, they get their eyes on the work of the Lord, so they keep going. And so now about a month later, they're maybe facing discouragement again. They needed the word of the Lord to come in again and, and to revive them, so it does. And Haggai gives them this strange illustration. He, he says, um, think about this, people of God. Ask about the, the law. If someone carries holy meat, <laughs> this meat that is holy, um, maybe bacon or something like that is probably the holiest of meats, perhaps. Um, no, that's not what it would be here. Um, maybe these days it would be. So he put it in his fold of his priestly garment, and then he would carry this holy meat. And by law, the, by the Lord's law, his garment, too, would become holy. But he asked him the question. He says, look, if, if that holy garment that's holding that holy meat were to touch something ordinary, um, like... Uh, like asparagus or something, uh, would that asparagus then all of a sudden become holy and, and taste like bacon and be a very, probably not. And, and so what he is saying is that, that holiness is not transferred just by touching. And, and he's saying just because you're working on a holy thing doesn't make you holy. You need, this is point number three, you need to consider your heart in all of this. You've heard it before, like, you know, just because you, you show up at church doesn't make you a Christian, right? Uh, just because, as one, one person said, just because you go in a garage doesn't make you a car. Like, like you just don't become holy by showing up and doing holy things. Just because you're building the temple, it doesn't mean you're doing it the right heart. And then he goes on to say, you know, what if something that's defiled touches this holy thing? He says, yes, that holy thing then becomes defiled. If this unholy thing touches the holy thing, then the holy thing does. Yes, yes, Haggai, it does become defiled. Because sin has a way of doing that, spreading like gangrene among our people. And so if we do holy things with unholy hearts, with wrong attitudes, then even that holy thing becomes defiled. And so Haggai says, where's your heart? You're starting to lose heart. You're starting to get weary. Where's your heart in all of this? And then he says again, consider where your heart brought you before. When you stop doing the work of the Lord, consider where that heart brought you. It, it brought you to being unsatisfied. Remember that and turn again to the Lord. Remember where you once were, he says in Haggai 2, 15 through 16. Remember when you get weary on your pilgrimage to the promised land, when opposition and pitfalls come through many dangers, toils, and snares, you have already come and will keep going through. When those dangers, toils, and snares come, think about your heart in the work. And don't just think you're doing the work, that somehow you become holy. And ask the Lord to change his heart. The Lord says that. He will renew your hearts. If you just ask him. So consider your heart and consider where a rotten heart leads. The final thing Haggai says, so he preaches, I guess, a morning sermon on in December of 520. So we've considered our ways, we've considered the Lord's ways, we considered our hearts. Where's your heart in it? If we want to build and prosper, we must ask the Lord to search our heart and know us and to see if there's anything in us that needs to be confessed and in any ways or, or thoughts that are distracting us or, or causing us to walk away from 
doing kingdom work in, a, in, in the kingdom way. He preached an evening sermon in December of 520 B.C., and I believe what he's asking the people to do in this final sermon is consider the heart of the Lord. Consider the heart of the Lord. This is another picture that Haggai gives that may be hard for us to see. He reminds them again that the Lord will, that only his kingdom will stand, that he's about to destroy the strengths of the kingdom of the nations, reminding them again what you're working on, this kingdom is, is worth it because only his kingdom will stand, so it is for us today. And then he closes the sermon with this strange promise. The Lord says, on that day, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. You know, a signet ring is the, is the seal of a king, the promise of the king. He would seal whatever he said with that promise. His life will ensure that that promise, what is said in that letter, will come to be. I'm going to make you, O Zerubbabel, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Consider the heart of the Lord. A few decades before, the people of God were living horrific lives. And so much so that the Lord looks at the people of God through the prophet Jeremiah and he says, as I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, the son of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand. Jeremiah 22, verse 24, you can read it. He said, yet I will tear you off. The significance of this is that this lineage of these folks that he's talking about with the signet ring is it's the lineage of David. The one, the king who the promised Messiah would come through. And the Lord is telling them in Jeremiah 22, he's saying, if it were up to you, you would not deserve this promise. Because you've rebelled, you've ran, you've worshipped other gods. And in fact, that's why they spent years in exile. And, and for this promise to come through that a king would come, a greater king would come, and that Messiah would come for this promise to come through. After Jeremiah twenty two twenty four, where the ring is taken off, the promise is saying, you don't deserve this promise. It'll be sheer grace. Consider the heart of the Lord. That he looks at Zerubbabel, in December of 520, and says, I have not gone back on my promise. That the sin of Israel is deep. My grace is deeper still. That your sin is no match for God's grace. The ring is going back on. The Messiah is coming, and he will save their people from their Sin. Yes, you don't deserve it, but greater glory is coming. God will dwell in your midst. Messiah is coming. The true king is coming into his temple, and I'm putting my mark on it. I put my very life on it. 
that all the promises of God are yes and amen for the people of God through Jesus Christ, even at the cost of his own life. He will ensure that you are saved and are received into greater glory. Consider your hearts sinful, but consider the heart of the Lord, that his grace is greater than all of your sin, and the Lord is far kinder to us than we deserve. We deserve the promise to be thrown out, and the Lord says, no, no, no. Your sin is great. My mercy is more. So get your eyes on his grace. Get your eyes on your way. Get your eyes on what the Lord is doing, that he's among you. Get your eyes on your heart. Ask the Lord to search your hearts. And ultimately, get your eyes on his grace, because the Lord is so kind to us. And do you want to build and do you want to prosper? Then I think we can take great heart from this, these messages of Haggai. But the final thought as we close, something we cannot miss, what was going on is not that these people were picking themselves by their bootstraps and trying really hard to consider their ways. Ultimately, what was going on is what the Bible says in Ezra chapter 5, and, excuse me, Ezra chapter 6, that they build and prospered through the prophecy of Haggai. Not through their own strength, but the word of God was working effectively in them. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, you can write this down, 2.13. He thanks God for this people and he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 that the word of God was working effectively in those who believe. So at the end of all this, May God give us ears to hear what he said through his prophet Haggai, inspired by the Holy Spirit, his word still speaking today. May give us ears to hear. And may that word of considering our ways, considering the work the Lord is doing, considering our hearts and considering the heart of the Lord, may we hear that and may his word work effectively in all who believe. And when his word takes root in our heart and begins to work effectively, then we will build and prosper.